Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We have to believe that we deserve more money. And because a lot of us who are first gen come from communities of color, we have experienced a lot of money traumas because of systemic bullshit of these systemic forces that we actively have to work on. It. And that's why we always, Sunem and I, always center improving our relationships with money. We shifted our mindset of seeing money as something to be accumulated because that is a limited belief that was a, partly a product of growing up in poverty, but also a product of internalizing capitalistic notions of success to like seeing money as a tool, like seeing money as something that we deserve, that we deserve abundance. And in order for us to increase our incomes, we need to fully embrace that, that we attract money and healing our money wounds, improving our relationships with money is going to help us attract more money. It's going to help us advocate for more money. And so that's why like improving our relationship with money is super, super key in this conversation, because a lot of folks don't, especially white folks don't talk about that because in our community, there's a lot of money trauma and we have to address that. Improving our relationship with money is super important in this journey. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Super excited for today's conversation. 
because you guys are doing this financial independence wealth building journey together as siblings. So I'm super excited for folks to get to know you, get to know your story. Let's start off with an introduction. I'll have each of you introduce yourself. Israel, we can start off with you. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we'll dive into how both of you started pursuing financial independence. Sounds good. Thank you again, Denise, for having us. Literally, you've played a huge role in our financial independence journey. Like times get tough when you are trying to get your money right. And so like listening to your podcast, someone who understands what we're going through, your infectious energy, like really has given us that motivation to push through. And so we feel very honored to be here with you today and have this conversation. So a little bit about myself. My name is Israel Tovar. My pronouns are he, el. I earn my bachelor's from Yale. And then I got my master's in education from Stanford. I was a classroom teacher for five years in the trenches. You know, I was that teacher who was splitting up the fights, like getting all the tea. My name was Mr. Chismoso. I did that for five years. And during that time, I was able to accumulate a net worth of 150K on the teacher's salary. Where were you teaching? So I taught one year in San Jose. I taught Mexican-American history there. Then I taught one year in Nashville. I taught middle school. That was rough. And then I taught in D.C. for three years, high school social studies. And was your intention always to be a teacher? Because I'm like, you go into some really, really bougie <laughs> institutions to get some education, some degrees. <laughs> yes. I always wanted to be a teacher. In fact, when I was a kid, I would want to play a teacher with her. She'd be like, yeah, I'm not trying to do that with you. Que no sé qué. But I always wanted to be a teacher like since I was a kid. And even when I went to Yale, I knew that I wanted to be a teacher. And mm-hmm. then I was in the trenches, you know, and I was like, this is rough. This needs to get the fuck out. My mental health is not cute. This paycheck is not giving based on where I want to be financially. And I was just going through it. So I was pushed out of the classroom just like many other teachers of color are. Mm, Yeah. And I think we definitely saw an acceleration of folks questioning the career of teaching during the pandemic because for the first time, people realized how essential teachers are. Go figure. Mm -hmm. You know, when your kids Mm -hmm. are stuck at home and you're like, oh, my God, I need an adult to take care of them. That's what a lot of people, you know, associated with teachers for a long time. She's like, they're just paid babysitters and like, no, Mm y'all, it is way more than that. And so I'm glad that society got a recalibration on the importance of educators. And I want to thank you Mm -hmm. on behalf of all educators that listen to this podcast, because the work that you do is very important. Oh, thank you, boo. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Sunam, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Sunam Talad. My pronouns are she, her. I am a financial coach slash educator with a master's in finance. I was never a teacher. I never dreamt about being a teacher like Israel. For some reason, Israel and my oldest sister have like really similar dreams. Like they both grew up thinking that they wanted to be teachers. And me, I was like, no, I'm an introvert. I feel like being a teacher would severely burn me out even more. I'm like, yeah, that's not for me. I said I decided to pursue finance. And so I got a master's in finance and I was able to pay off $42,000 in debt. And I have also been able to accumulate over 250,000 net worth. Wow. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your career. What motivated you to go into finance and then how did that manifest as a career for you? Yeah. So actually I went to school wanting to be a lawyer for some reason, because, you know, in the immigrant household, it's either you're a doctor, you're a lawyer. And my mom is like an engineer or something like my mom wanted someone else to be an engineer. And I was like, okay, well, I like learning about government. Let me go and be a political science. Like that was my major in the beginning. And then I was like, I took a psychology course and I really enjoyed it. And I was like, let me change to psychology because I can still be a lawyer and have a psychology degree. And I remember one of my classes, they told me to like do a uh, shadow one of the professions that I wanted. So I was like, okay, I want to be a lawyer. So I went and shadowed like a lawyer And I was there with him for like a whole day. He took me to the court, to the national court. And then one of the judges was like, if you want to be a lawyer, you shouldn't have kids. And I was like, okay, that's toxic as hell. Um, Yeah. I was like, yeah, I feel like I don't want to be a lawyer because I'm like an introvert and I don't want to have to like percent in like cases because for some reason, that's what I was thinking that I had to do when I was like getting my degree. So I was like, yeah, it's a no. I was like, what else can I do? I'm like, I don't want to do anything that has to show my face. And like, I have to (laughs) speak in public. And so I was like, well, 
I really like psychology. I want to pursue a psychology degree. And like, I wanted to get a PhD at that moment. But then I started like a side hustle managing storages after graduating with my psychology degree. And then I started like looking at businesses expenses. And I was like, I don't understand some of the financial terminology. And also like I got so into personal finance during that point that I was like, I I really want to go back to school and get my master's in finance. And that's how I got into the finance. I got a master's in finance because of that. Amazing. Okay. So y'all have had very different career trajectories, but somehow have managed to converge on this idea that work is ghetto and we need to get out as quickly as possible. Okay. Okay. You, you can say that again, girl. You can say that. I want to work be retired is extremely yesterday. ghetto. Okay, okay y'all. Because... We're tired. <laughs> tired. I, I like I said, I'm I wish I was retired yesterday. Okay. Yesterday. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So Sunem, I'm assuming it was you who, because you mentioned that you were into personal finance. And is that how you roped Israel into this concept? Tell me about how y'all discovered this. Yes. So it took me a few years before Israel joined like the money nerdness about being into personal finance. But yeah, so I started off in 2017 when I realized that all my money was just going to pay off my debt. So I graduated college with like, $16,000 in student debt, which I honestly didn't need. I just took out because I saw my other siblings who were taking out student debt. And I was like, oh, I need to take this out so I can live my best life. So like growing up as a child of immigrants and like growing up in poverty, we didn't really have a lot of money. So I grew up with like not being able to buy things that I saw like my classmates have. So when I went to college, I was like, oh, this is the time that I can buy all of that. But I didn't know that I had to pay it back and I had to pay it back with interest. And Mm. so I came out with $16,000. And then right after graduating, my family was like, well, you have a job now, which at that time I was making like less than $20,000. But they're like, you have a job now and you should think about buying yourself a brand new car. And I was like, okay, yeah, I should. And so I went and got a brand new car. And so my debt was like over $42,000. And so that was like in 2015. But then in 2017, after like paying off just minimal loan payments, both my debt, I was like, I feel like all my money's going there. And I really want to change this because I feel like I have no control over my money because it just feels like it's coming in and just leaving. And so I was like, I want to become debt free so that I no longer have debt and I have more money to spend on anything that I want. During that time, I didn't even know about investing and about like financial independence. I just knew that I needed more money to spend on things that made me happy. (laughs) And so that's when I went down the rabbit hole of the personal finance space. And during that time, it was like mostly blogs. I don't think podcasts were that popular back in the day. And so I read a lot of blogs and I was like, oh, I want to become debt free, but I also want to become financially independent because during that time I was working full time and then going to grad school. And so I didn't have any time for myself. I even worked the weekends or went to school. So I was like, I want to be retired right now. And so I became really obsessed with it and like started, I did become debt free in 2019 and then started aggressively investing. And then during that time, when me and Israel would go out to eat, I would tell him like, hey, Israel, you should start investing. Like you can become financially independent. And Israel was like, nah, it's not for me. <laughs> okay, so I have a clarifying question I want to ask. So you said you took out student loans, but you didn't need them. So did you have a full ride to school and you were just like, well, I just need some spending money? Yeah, yeah. so I had a scholarship and I also had the Pell Grant. So all of that paid for my school. Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's funny how like they'll give an 18 year old $20,000 with no questions asked for student loans, but God forbid you try to take that money out to go and buy a house or to go and start a business. You ain't getting nowhere. It's wild how they kind of set us up for failure from the beginning and without that literacy. Honestly, it's super predatory, especially for low income students of color who don't know shit about the system it's like they're preying on us these financial institutions these universities on my end so like i said i went to yale and stanford i got full rights to those institutions okay like i finesse my way through getting enough funding and scholarships to even cover most of my car loan for graduate school so i know that was a huge huge privilege to graduate with almost no debt no student debt and almost like no car debt right 
However, even though I went to these white ass, wealthy ass institutions, I still graduated as a first generation professional of color with no generational wealth and no financial literacy, right? And honestly, like, I'm incredibly grateful that I had Sunam who helped me get my money right, who helped me introduce me to personal finance. And like she was saying, like, we would go to like Friday dinner dates when I first started teaching full time in Nashville. And she would try to provide me financial advice. And I was like, yeah, I'm not trying to hear it. Let me get another margarita. Okay, you know, I'm here for happy hour. I'm not here to get no money advice. (laughs) But I wasn't until I quit my first full time teaching job in Nashville within the first two months of teaching there that I realized the importance of financial literacy, like, so a little bit more context. So after I graduated from Stanford, I returned to Nashville and I bought a house. A bitch bought a house and I was not financially ready to buy a house, right? I got no money in my bank account. So then I had to let me borrow $1,000 and I had no idea about nothing. And so I was like, fuck, I have this whole mortgage now and I'm 23 and I ain't got no job and a bitch is broke. So... I just started side hustling and I eventually did go back to teaching, right? But during that time is when I really began to deepen my financial literacy. I began to develop a commitment to reaching fire, uh, fire financial independence, retire early, right? And also it was during that time that I decided I'm, I can't be in Nashville. I'm too gay to be in Nashville. I'm too Latino, too educated. So I decided to move to DC to live in a more progressive city, but also to earn more money as a teacher and to work in a more progressive school. And so yeah, boy, finessed again. I lived in the outside of the city and with a friend from college, we shared a room in a house and I was only paying $350 a month for rent. And I had increased my income like 15 to 20K, right? And so my house in Nashville, I rented it out, you know, extra money went to repairs, housing key fund. I eventually sold it because I realized being a property owner at that time was not for me, right? Yeah. And at school, I also got side hustles and I worked during the summers and during the school year, you know, doing a little club here, a little club over there. And because I got my money right and I hustled, I was able to build a six-figure investment portfolio by the age of 26. Amazing. Okay, let's break down some of what you were doing. So you said you quit your first teaching job two months in. Why? Mm -hmm. What happened? Yes. Oh, girl. Yes. So the year prior, I was teaching in San Jose. I was teaching Mexican-American history in a charter that was founded by Latinos serving Latinos. So it was very progressive. I came back to Nashville, my gay ass, my Latino ass, being my rainbow flag, my Mexican flag, right? It was making a huge impact in the lives of my students. But the first school where I worked, it was just perpetuating the school to prison nexus so hard. Like the kids will come up to me and tell me every day, like, this is what teachers said. Teachers would say like, all you people do, and black and brown kids, right? All you people do is get pregnant and drop out. Wow. There's just so many things going on in my life that my anxiety was out of control. And I was like, I can't, the only thing I can control now is this job. So I quit that shit, right? And I felt like a huge failure because I didn't leave no desk job, right? I left like 125 precious black and brown kids. And even to this day, I still grapple with that. And I had also never like quit anything. Like I went to Yale and Stanford. I graduated with honors and distinction from these institutions and I quit. So it was a really, really rough time for me. But then also I realized during that time that like work is ghetto. This was my dream, right? My dream was to get my master's. My dream was to get a house. My dream was to be a teacher. Imira. Ghetto as fuck, right? And yeah. so I was like, no, I'm trying to leverage money. So this never happens to me again. And I can live the life that I want. Okay. So you quit your job, you start side hustling. First off, what were you doing for side hustles and how long until you got your next gig? So I started delivering pizzas. Okay. I said, bitch, this is humbling. Okay. I went to the Ivy League, but bitch, I'm still broke. Okay. <laughs> I was delivering pizza in the evening. I was working at an immigration law firm during the day. I was teaching English online to Korean folks. So I was making good money. I paid off all my shit. I was making as good money as I was as a teacher, which is so ridiculous. But then during that time, I realized that like I still wanted to be a teacher. I just didn't want to be a teacher in that context. I didn't want to feel like a police officer, right? And so I went back to teaching after two months of side hustling. And during that two months, I was listening to podcasts. You know, I was like learning a lot about personal finance. And I went back to teaching and I taught a more progressive school here in Nashville, but it was super white. You know, I'm like, it's just not my vibe, right? And so that's one of the reasons why I decided to then be like, okay, I'm going to teach, but I'm going to teach in a more progressive city, in a more progressive school where there's more people of color, where I get paid more as a professional. And so that's, that's how it happened. Okay. And so you are actively increasing your income, cutting your expenses. 
What do you think was like the single biggest thing that helped you get to a point where you were able to create the six-figure portfolio by 26? Like, what's that one thing that you're like, this was the game changer? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com dinero now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com dinero. I think it was my financial why. Okay. To be quite honest, like I just knew that I wanted to give myself more options. And I knew that I had no generational wealth. I had no little nest egg that my peers from my institutions, the institutions that I attended had. And so I was like, I need to get my money right because I know getting this money right is going to give me more options. So I'd be like, no, I don't want this job. Right. I got my money right. I can travel, you know, and I also during that time, I was like, I'm going to take a sabbatical because the bitch was burnt out. And so like, just having those financial whys and financial goals, like help me give me that motivation, but also community, having my sister, listening to your podcast, listening to other podcasts, like having my financial why and also community helped me significantly during that time. Got it. So you moved to DC, you are paying a lot less for housing, you are getting paid a lot more for teaching. So what are you doing with that money? How did you actually start building wealth? Actually, it took me a minute to like really get comfortable with the idea of investing. And that's something that we talk about all the time to the clients that we work with is that like investing is beyond just learning the mechanics of it. Like learning the mechanics of it can be inaccessible just because white men tend to have be the ones teaching them. They don't know how to teach at all. But beyond that, like once you learn the mechanics, it's like mindset shift of like, Mm -hmm. like growing up as a low income immigrant, because, you know, in an immigrant household, like I was socialized to believe that I had to work really hard for my money. Yeah. Right. We saw our parent, our dad waking up so early in the morning to go to work. Right. And so this idea of like, having my money work hard for me felt so uncomfortable and so unfamiliar. And so for me also, it was like wealth at that time, because, you know, immigrants, we tend to see property as the only way to build wealth. Like I was like, I need to see something tangible. Right. And so I thought like my house at that time was going to be the way that I built wealth. So I was like trying to pay that off faster. But so then, you know, helped me a lot and like learning, listening to podcasts, helped me shift my mindset. So even also that I went to these institutions and I got my master's in education, like we always tell folks that it's also improving your relationship with money. And once I moved to D.C., like I was already like feeling comfortable with investing. So I was maxing out my 43B. I was also maxing out my IRA and I was using extra money putting into my brokerage account. Okay. And so that's how I was primarily to build wealth. And then also I decided to sell my house two years after I moved to DC. Cause I'm like, it's just too much. It's just not my vibe. I'm not trying to build wealth this way, at least now. Amazing. All right. Sunem, let's dive into your story. So you start reading personal finance blogs. You're like, I need to get out of debt. Talk us through the actual strategy that you did to, to get rid of the debt, but also to start building wealth. 
Yeah. So one of the things that I did first was actually write down how much money I owed. Like before I knew I owed money, but I didn't know how much. I just knew that I was making minimal loan payments. And so the first thing that I did was like write down the amounts because I think I had like five different student loans that I had gotten during like the semesters when I was in college and also my car loan. And so when I put that all together, I was like, I have $42,000 of debt. And that was really hard because I was making so little. I was like making less than $20,000. And I was like, this is so much money. And so that's something that I always tell our clients, like start just putting down how much money you owe, because a lot of us know that we have debt, but we don't really know how much we have. That was the first step. The second step that I did was increase my income. So I was making $20,000. So I started like side hustling too. So I started learning how to design websites. And so I started doing that on the side. And so I got extra money by doing that. And I also started like managing storage facilities and that was extra money. So it was like all about side hustling and all the bonuses that I got, I would put it directly to paying off my debt. And so I remember that I had calculated that I was going to become debt free in 2021, but because I was able to increase my income and I was able to use everything just to give it directly to my debt, I was actually able to become debt free in the beginning of 2019. And then that's when I pivot to investing because I did go to school and I got a master's in finance and I learned about the power of investing, but they really didn't teach me how to invest. They're like, oh, investing is good. And I knew investing was good. Like that was in my mind, like, okay, I have to invest to build wealth, but I didn't know how. And so I, for some reason, when I signed up to get my master's in finance, I thought that they were going to teach me everything. Like, this is what you should invest in and this, none of that. It was just corporate finance. It was honestly really boring. I did not enjoy it. But on the side, I was learning that on my own. I was like, okay, well, I need to invest in index funds because research has proven that if you invest in other companies, you're more likely to not lose your money. And so that's what I started doing. So in 2018, that's when I started investing for the first time. I was a little scared because no one else around me was doing it. I think I was like one of the first ones in my family to do it. So I was like, I'm going to start off slowly because I'm kind of scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if I'm going to do something wrong and then I have to pay all this taxes. So I had no idea what was going on. And so I opened up a robo advisor and I started that way. And then once I learned and felt comfortable, I did it on my own. So I opened up a brokerage account and then started investing. And then I started investing through my 401k, my HSA, my Roth IRA, like everything. I just started maxing it out in 2019 after I became debt free. And that's how I was able to like build a six figure net worth. And I also reached $100,000 at age 26, like he said, which is weird. I didn't even know until he was saying it right now. That's amazing. Incredible. Okay. So can you tell me what's the first like blog that you encountered in the personal finance space? Do you remember? Yeah. So it was, it's kind of cliche because I feel like it was Mr. Money Mustache at the time. Cause I think he was like the biggest blog out there in 2017 when I started looking into it. And I think I really got obsessed with reading that blog. I like just read it all the time. And then I was telling everybody about it, but it was, everybody was like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. Yeah. So Mr. Money Mustache is one of the pioneers in the personal finance space when it comes to the conversation around financial independence and retiring early. What I have loved watching over the years is this move away from like the extremity of his process where he was just like suffer through, you know, quote unquote, like curated poverty for like 10 years, eat rice and beans, save all your money. So then you can enjoy that shit later. I think that's not the vibe, especially for first gen kids. Cause it's like, yo, we already got to experience that shit. Like, why would I actively want to recreate that in my adult life? Like that sounds very ghetto to me. I'm like, how can I do this shit in a way that's like more sustainable? I'm still building wealth. I'm still getting to enjoy the today, but also making sure that my future self is taken care of. And so I'm really happy to see the financial independence movement move away from that like scarcity, frugality, extreme shit to more of a balanced approach. Did that initially turn you off in any way, Sunem, to the movement when you first read about it? Because I know for me, I was kind of just like, that's great, but I will never do that shit, okay? I will never live off of $20,000 intentionally to go and have like money later. 
So honestly, it didn't. I think it was because I was severely burnt out by like working full time, going to school that I didn't. I was like, I don't care. And like for a long time, I was only making $20,000 and I was able to live off of it. So I was like, I think I could do this for the rest of my life. And so it didn't originally. But once I was in the journey, once I started making more money, once I like allowed myself to spend more, I was like, yeah, I could not do this. I do not want to be frugaling my way to my retirement because I'm going to be miserable because I did do that for a few years. And I was like, I was not living my best life. And I honestly didn't really notice this into 2020 when the pandemic happened. And I started getting severe like anxiety. So I normally suffer from generalized anxiety, but normally it's okay. But because of the pandemic, like it led me to really have a bad anxiety attack for that moment. And during this time, after I got out of it, I started to question my choices in life. I was like, I've been depriving myself so much so that I can build well, so that I can become financially independent as soon as possible, but I'm not happy. And that's when I started to see money as a tool. Like I'm like, money's a tool to use so that I can live my best life. And I've just been hoarding money in that sense. I was like, I'm just hoarding money. I'm really not using it to live my best life. And so after 2021, I started investing in myself. So I started investing in coaching for myself to like, help me with my scarcity money mindset that I've had going on. Honestly, like it's still kind of a struggle. Like we always say like your money mindset will improve, but then there's moments in time where it will go down again. And so after that, I started using money as a tool and I was able to negotiate my job to go fully remote. I only work four days a week and I get to like travel to a new city every month, which was something that I really wanted in 2021 because I was like seeing people that started traveling again. And so on Instagram, they like I would follow like travel bloggers and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, I want their lives. And so I felt really like sad during that time. But then when I started using my money as a tool, because I'm like, I have six figures. I have an emergency fund. I was building like a an FE fund in case I wanted to take a sabbatical. And I was like, I have all this that I can use to build the life that I want. And so that's what gave me the courage to do that. I'm so here for this. And I'm glad that y'all both talk about how you focus not only on paying off debt, which I think is like the normal place where most people go when they're like, I want to get my financial shit together. But it's also about increasing your income, y'all. Like there's only so much you can cut, okay? There's only so many coupons you can clip. There's only so much money you can save. But if you are actively increasing your income, you're going to make so much more progress. And I think the powerful thing too is like when you're combining those two things, right? You're accelerating your debt payoff because you have more money. And then it becomes very easy to transfer those extra payments that you were making to debt towards investments because you're already used to flexing that muscle where it's like, oh yeah, adding an extra thousand dollars to my investment account. This is the same shit as what I was doing, paying off my debt, adding an extra thousand dollars to my payment. So it really just does get you in a place where it accelerates the progress that you make exponentially. And I know, I know both of you have experienced that personally. And I think that that relates back to like our relationships with money, our money mindsets. Like we have to believe that we deserve more money. And because a lot of us, and who are first gen come from communities of color, we have experienced a lot of money traumas because of systemic bullshit of these systemic forces that like the patriarchy imposes the gender pay gap. And like, there's just so many forces that instill in us a, a money scarcity mindset. And so we actively have to work on it. And that's why we always, Sunem and I, in our coaching, in our services, always center improving our relationships with money. We shifted our mindset of seeing money as something to be accumulated because that is a limited belief that was a partly a product of growing up in poverty, but also a product of internalizing capitalistic notions of success to like seeing money as a tool, like seeing money as something that we deserve, that we deserve abundance. And in order for us to increase our incomes, we need to fully like embrace that, that we attract money and healing our money wounds improving our relationships with money is going to help us attract more money. It's going to help us advocate for more money. And so that's why like improving our relationship with money is super, super key in this conversation because a lot of folks don't, especially white folks don't talk about that because in our community, there's a lot of money trauma and we have to address that. Improving our relationship with money is super important in this journey. Absolutely. It is the foundation, right? Because you can give everybody the blueprint, the checklist of what they're supposed to do, but if they don't actually believe A, that they deserve it and that they can do it, it's going to be impossible. And I've seen so many examples of that where it's just like the mindset is the biggest roadblock for so many of us. 
Okay, so it's not very common in our community as Latinos to embrace this idea that like we should not work, that we should relax, that we should chill. Because I don't know about you, but like I don't even know how to take naps. And I'm 38 years old, y'all, because I was taught that sleeping past a certain time is lazy. You always need to be doing some shit. Idle times, the devil's work, like all of that stuff. So what do your friends and family say when you tell them like about this master plan of y'all? I don't like taking naps either. For some reason, <laughs> since I was little, I was like, I don't want to miss out on anything. Because <laughs> then I do. I'm not a nap taker, but if I love snacks. But yeah. So I tell my mom, I'm like, mom, I want to retire at 45. And she's like, what are you going to do after that? Like, it's not good not to do anything. I'm like, I'm just going to do whatever I want. I'm like, I'm going to travel. I'm like, you could come with me. She's like, okay, if I'm alive, yes. <laughs> I think like a lot of us in our communities have this mindset because we're just grew up in survival, right? Like surviving just to live. And so like we internalize that so deeply that it's so uncomfortable the idea of not working of relaxing but as someone who's committed to like healing intergenerational trauma as someone who's committed to being anti-capitalist and as someone who really believes in the beauty of rest and focusing on yourself like how that's going to have ripple effects for the generations to come after you like I feel like it's a disservice to my ancestors if I don't rest, if I don't focus on myself. Like that's how I'm going to honor my ancestors by resting and getting my money right so I can rest. And so partly because of that, like I like I mentioned earlier, like I was feeling burnt out from teaching and I was like, I, a bitch can't do it no more. I need to take a little sabbatical. So I took a sabbatical from July 2022 to February of 2023, eight months. And Janice, that was life changing, like all my life, I had been a robot in the sense of I was super high achieving, like I extracted so much joy and happiness from achieving goals, from going to these institutions, from being featured on Business Insider, from it was all of that. But when I took a sabbatical and I didn't do shit, I extracted more joy and more peace from not doing shit. That, that was just so life changing for me. I was like, this is such a huge paradigm shift for me. And so now I'm like, I came back to working full time and, you know, we're doing our the Dream Teacher Project on the side. But now I'm like prioritizing, like resting, taking naps because a bitch loves to nap. OK, I'm like, <laughs> y'all, a power nap is what's up for me. OK, give me a little 15 minutes. I'll take me a cute little nap. But like, yeah, like I don't want to work. I just don't want to work. And I'm it's giving that maldita pobreza, you know what I'm saying? Like it's giving like, OK, so it's like, OK, boo, but you're not poor no more. I'm like, OK, I'm not poor, but it's giving intergenerational poverty. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to get out of that shit, you know, yes. so it takes time. And so but yeah. If I didn't have to work, I wouldn't work because I had that beautiful, powerful experience that like, I just felt much happier, healthier, balanced and more in alignment. And I could embrace more abundance when I was just like not doing anything. What would your sabbatical day look like? Like walk us through a typical day. What would that be? Girl, well, at first, girl, let me tell you, I was burnt the fuck out. So I was literally just on the bed or on the couch watching Pedro Lescamoso on Netflix because I was so tired. Like I was traveling and someone would join me. We went to Cancun Playa de Carmen in July and I'm a huge extrovert. So I love to like go out, be in about, meet people. And so was like, we were staying in Airbnb and so was like, okay, like we can do this because like I know Israel is going to be out and about. I was just on the couch watching TV all day. And she was like, oh, okay, it's not giving what I thought I was going to give, but okay. <laughs> but I was just so burnt out, right? So for the first few months, I had no structure. I had nothing. I was just resting. But then I realized that like, I need to get myself structure. I started waking up at a certain time, X, Y, and C. But I was traveling. I was traveling across the US. I was traveling across Mexico. I spent a month in Mexico City, a month in Merida, Yucatan, and Cancun. I went to LA, Tijuana. I was just living my best life. And just delving into creative projects and sleeping, taking the naps that I wanted, going to coffee shops whenever I wanted, just journaling, talking to friends, exercising. It was amazing, Janice. And you were paying with what, an FU fund? Did you cash out investments? What was the funding Yeah, source? I built a sabbatical fund. Okay, during, amazing. During my time teaching, yep. That's incredible. And I was and I was so jealous of him when he was like on his sabbatical because because we traveled together and when he was like not doing anything, I was working because I do work remotely, but I still have to work. And I was like, yeah, like this is not the vibe. Like I want to be like him. And so like for me, that was like I'm building an FU fund and I'm like trying to take a sabbatical. But I've kind of learned from Israel and he's like, 
if you take a sabbatical, you're not going to want to come back to work. So now I'm like, okay, I'm going to build like a two-year sabbatical just in case like I don't want to work for two years, but that's okay. I love that for us. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about some of the ways that you, with your project, the Dream Teacher Project, are helping clients get past a lot of these mindset blocks around money that are keeping them from building wealth, right? Because I think most of us, when we think of teachers, we don't think of people who are making a bunch of money. We think of people who are essentially usually living paycheck to paycheck, but doing work that they really care about and work that matters. And I think there can be a lot of like perception that you cannot make a lot of money or you cannot build wealth while also being of service. And I think that's why a lot of folks in our community take on roles like nursing, teaching, social work, because we want to be of service. But again, a lot of these positions are not positions that give you access to a lot of wealth. Yeah, for sure. So I want to give you like a little background, a little context on on the Dream Teacher Project. So Sunem and I merge our expertise, like myself as a former teacher of color and her with her master's in finance and her her love for money uh, to advance economic justice for teachers and women of color. Like during that process of working with teachers of color, we realized that like most of the teachers of color that we're working with were women of color. I'm specifically very passionate about helping teachers learn the language of money and have money to work hard for them because we are severely underpaid and overworked and we're actively being pushed out of the profession. That's what the data shows. And that's what a lot of folks that we've worked with also their lived experience also corroborate that, right? And Sunem is really passionate about combating the patriarchy by teaching women how to leverage their money to have more options in their careers and their lives and to be able to use money to live their best lives, period. And so we both decided to start the Dream Teacher Project to be on a mission to make financial literacy more digestible and accessible to teachers and women of color, but also to as many marginalized communities as possible because there's a lot of intersectionality of our identities and experiences, right? We just like want people from marginalized communities to be able to deepen their financial literacy, achieve financial security, and have financial peace, right? And that's what economic justice looks like for us. Now, I have a question because some of the pushback that I've seen when I talk to folks about building wealth is this idea of by taking advantage of the capitalist system in which we live in, we're actually contributing to the exploitation of our own people. Because when we think about publicly traded companies. We know very well what the statistics look like about who's at the top of those companies, who's at the bottom of those companies, what the diversity or lack thereof looks like. So what do you say to people that it's like, y'all are just making shit worse by encouraging us to invest in the system that is also exploiting us? Mm, yeah, we, we Girl, have get so that question a lot. <laughs> Yeah, so let, let me let me show my quick little thought and then you can take it. You can take the mic because y'all know I like to talk. Okay, so yes. Capitalism puts us in a contradictory existence where we need money to survive. However, though, when people talk about like, oh, we shouldn't be investing in the stock market because it's exploiting our communities. Well, first of all, we need to be investing in the stock market because that money is ours. As a former history teacher, like if you look at the history of the United States, Black, Indigenous, people of color built this country, built the wealth of this country. If you go to Walmart, you'll see low-income Black and brown folks and other people of color working, and the rich white man and corporate Walmart are making the profits. So this is our money. We're reclaiming what is ours by investing in the stock market. Like, we are the ones who have produced the wealth of this country. This country owes us trillions and trillions of dollars. Okay, so we are reclaiming what's ours. White colonizers stole that shit from indigenous people. So this is us reclaiming our shit. This shit belongs to us. Okay, and I'm gonna stop there because y'all know I like to preach. So go ahead, Sonami. I'm here for it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what Isla said, but also like when we talk to people, there's actually also like more ethical investing. So if you do not believe in contributing to global warming through like oil or fuel companies, then there's investments that you can invest in. Or like if you do not believe in like firearms, there's also other investments that exclude those. So there are more ethical investing out there if that's something that's very important to you. In fact, that is something that is important to me. And before I like got really into like studying like index funds. I thought there was only one index fund that I had to invest in. But then I started learning about more sustainable investments. And I've been slowly on a journey to start to invest in those funds instead of the other ones. So yeah, there are other ways to be more ethical when it comes to investing. Yeah, absolutely. And the other piece I want to highlight, Janice, is that like, like I said, we're anti-capitalist because we don't have this mindset that like wealth is to be accumulated. More and more and more money, we need to get more and more money. It's anti-capitalist that we're just seeing money 
as a tool that we can leverage so we can rest more, which is radical. Mm -hmm. Resting in our communities in itself is super radical. So we can rest more, so we can have more access to resources like therapy that give us, help us heal from intergenerational trauma. Like for us, like we're anti-capitalist by having that lens of not seeing money as something to be accumulated, but something for us to leverage to improve our quality of lives. And I would also argue you're anti-capitalist by not hoarding the information that you've learned which has been very much the hallmark of the system, which we have been in for a very long time. And, you know, thanks to things like the internet and podcasts and social media, we are now able to distribute information that was usually gate kept behind financial institutions Mm -hmm. and wealth managers and whatnot. So y'all are doing good work and I'm so here for it. So I want to wrap this up by asking each of you for your best advice to that person, that first gen wealth builder who is feeling hella overwhelmed, is feeling maybe some resentment, some angst about having to be the one that changes the future of lineage. What advice would you give to them to stay committed to the journey? And I'll start off with you, Israel. Healing intergenerational trauma, building generational wealth. It's a lot of fucking work. You're not responsible for combating all of that intergenerational trauma that has impacted your family for generations. You, by going being the first generation college or graduate like that, you already did a lot. Generational wealth is also just beyond the money. It's the knowledge that you pass down to others. It's the healthy money mindsets and habits you pass down to others, your nieces, your nephews, your children, your students. And that in itself, like you may not build a trust fund in your lifetime, right? But you can help your nieces and nephews, your children, like invest at an earlier age. That in itself is generational wealth. And that in itself is so powerful. And that's going to change the financial trajectories of generations to come. And so don't feel like you're the one who has to fix all these intergenerational wounds. You're doing enough. You're doing more than enough. You've done a lot, right? And so being gentle with yourself, because that's going to help you build less resentment. I love that. How about you, Sunam? Yeah. So something that I usually tell everyone, it's to start off slowly. So our financial journeys can be long. It's a kind of like a marathon type of journey, not a sprint. So if you try to go really fast, like build a budget, try to invest, pay off debt at the same time, like it might feel really overwhelming and you might want to give up. So I usually tell everyone, like, just start with the easiest thing. Like for me, the easiest thing when I started was just to write down the amount of debt I had from there on that, like lit a fire on me to like want to pay it off. So for you, like the easiest thing is just to look at your expenses, like how much you're spending, then start off there. And also like, I always preach about having a balance approach to your money. So please always try to have a balanced approach. I came from a mindset and I think it was impacted from reading like Mr. Money Mustache and all those like white men about like having to be very frugal on your journey. No, you don't have to do that. You can just like invest, pay off debt, save, but also spend money on things that make you happy because like what's the point of reaching your goals and being very miserable? Like we want to enjoy our present, but also think about our future. And you know, I think it's also important to ask yourself like what is actually enough? I don't think we ask ourselves that question often enough. And so there's just like this endless pursuit and it can always feel like you are chasing a moving target. So really asking yourself, like, what do I actually need? When do I know I can chill? Can I slow down this journey a little bit because I've reprioritized things? Well, like, what does that mean? Just giving yourself permission to evolve in this journey, I think is so important because that's just the kind of the nature of what it is to be human. Our priorities are going to change. Our life circumstances are going to change and allowing yourself to really modify what you're doing to make sure that you're always prioritizing living in the present. I think it's super important. And I also think that we're always wanting more because we live under a capitalistic society that always wants us to be productive and productive and like, okay, we reached our money goal. We move on to the next one because there's never like a stopping stone. So I think like you can be very anti-capitalist when you reach your goal and you're like, okay, that's it. I'm quitting. I'm just enjoying the rest of my life. That's something that I want for so many of us. And I want folks to find out more about you, the work that you're doing, how they can get in touch with you, how they can find out more about your story. So let us know where we can find you, what you're working on and how folks can work with you. Yeah, so you can find us on Instagram at the Dream Teacher Project, where we have a community of like-minded teachers and women of color who are committed to getting their money right. And we also started a podcast, which is called Money Noticias, where we spill all the tea about money as it relates to teachers and women of color. And you can actually find that on any of the podcast platforms. And do y'all do any kind of coaching as part of your business? And how can folks work with you in that way? 
Yeah, so we do one-on-one coaching, money coaching, and we also provide financial literacy training sessions to universities, organizations, schools, districts that work with teachers of color. But we certainly do one-on-one money coaching, and you can find that on our Instagram at The Dream Teacher Project. We have a link there so you can access our service. Amazing. I know there are lots of siblings who are going to listen to this podcast and be super inspired to bring the family along for the journey. I love that y'all are doing this together. And I hope that folks get a really, really motivated from hearing this conversation because y'all are so young to be doing what you're doing. And I just want to remind you, regardless of where you are in your financial journey, you can always make it change. You can always decide to do different. You can always decide that those narratives that you've been fed by society, your family, whoever, are just not aligned. And you can reprioritize your life and decide that work is ghetto as hell and I'm getting out of this rat race forever. (laughs) All right, you can say that again. All right, you can say that again. Say that for the people in the back. Say that for the people in the back. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for being here, y'all, and for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Denise. We appreciate you. Thank you. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start. That's yoquierodineropodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated contents constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.